0: stay connected sign up for our newsletter go beyond your favorite world talk radio shows visit iradioblog.com
1: the following program is being brought to you on the world talk radio network
2: Welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. Our thanks to Alice Cooper for reminding us with that song that sometimes when you're doing a lot of self-improvement work and you learn to say no because you're learning to set boundaries, sometimes people perceive you as not so nice. But back up, you'll get through it, and they'll adjust. Don't worry about it. It's a good thing. Today, actually... It's hard to believe, but the self-improvement show was one year old. We started just about this time last year, and I have to say I have had such a wonderful time speaking with people all over this world. Uh, it's been much more fun than I could have ever imagined, and I want to thank Voice America for making it possible. Voice America, if you don't know it, is a pioneer in Internet talk radio and now in streaming video. They stay on the cutting edge of technology, so if you want to have your own show, this is the place you need to come. Trust me. Uh, the self-improvement blog, you all may also know, has been down and really totally messed up, and it's back up now and almost, almost all the way back up. I love this new improved version. It's a lot of fun. I thank those of you who wrote to say you missed it, and good luck getting out of the chaos, I thought for a while that wasn't going to be possible. Um, we have the new bookstore back on, or on, and we we it's not been visible for a, a year, which is almost impossible to believe, but it's on now and it's updated and all the latest books are on there. And all the authors that you've heard on the self-improvement show are featured there. So take a look. We also just added, I mean, like last hour... Um, a new feature called he- healthy, healthy Cooking. We're going to have recipes by Holly Clegg. Holly was on, a guest on our show last year. She's going to be on again in March. And so we're going to start featuring some recipes. We've not done that before. And the first one just went up. So today's a good day. Um, actually, every day's a good day. You know, somebody told me that if you wake up in the morning, it's a really good day. Think about it it's a really good day. Last month was breast cancer awareness month and we wanted to get our today's guest on but the schedule was already full. We hear a lot these days about breast cancer. The incidence keeps rising there, you know, while there's still more effective treatments there still isn't a cure. And with all of the things we're doing, they're working really hard to find things that work better. We have runs. We have walks. We have all those things to raise money to help fund the research for a cure. Uh, We wear pink ribbons. We wear pink hats. Sometimes ball teams even wear pink jerseys. Um, Some of the men look like they're a little embarrassed by it, but they wear it anyway. Uh, a, A lot of things happening. And even though it's not October, it's November, it's still critically important that you know about breast cancer and what you can do um, to detect it early enough that you don't get in trouble. Last night in the Country Music Awards, for those of you who watch Country Music Awards, uh, Martina McBride sang a song, and it was very poignant. It was about a 38-year-old mother of three children who just learned that she had breast cancer. And the song was about her husband's promise, I'm going to love you through it. Um, it really touched me, and I know it probably did hundreds of thousands of other people the way it touched me. Uh, love has a great deal to do with a more rapid recovery and our guest today is going to share some of this with you. Diana Rabb uh, was born in Brooklyn, New York. We won't hold that against her because now she lives in the West. She's in California. She received her undergraduate degree in health administration and journalism in 1976 and I think that's a wonderful combination of study A few years later, she received her RN degree, and after 25 years as a medical and self-help writer, she directed her creative energy toward nonfiction and memoir writing. In 2003, she earned her MFA in writing from Spalding University, and she is the author of eight books. I think that's wonderful and phenomenal. Her most recent release, Healing with Words, A Writer's Cancer Journey, is a memoir self-help book which includes reflections experiences journal entries and poems emphasizing the healing power of writing and and everybody needs this book whether or not it's connected with with breast cancer because you learn so much about how writing can help you in so many different ways Currently, she teaches creative journaling and memoir at the UCLA Extension Writers Program. Is that online? Diana, remind me to ask you.
3: I do have classes online, but I do not teach online. Okay.
2: She facilitates workshops in journaling and writing for healing uh, around the country and is a frequent moderator for panels on writing. Her award-winning work has been published in numerous literary magazines and is widely Anthologized. I love the word anthologized. It's fun to have that roll off your tongue. And when you're anthologized, it means your book is sought after and used uh, many times as a reference. Diana Rabb, welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. Thank you so much, Irene. It's absolutely delightful to have you here. And now, after all that flowery introduction and all those wonderful things you've done, tell us, who is Diana Rabb? (laughs)
3: You just (laughs) heard who she was. Um, Ah,
2: that's what she does.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I am one of those people, what you see is what you get. And I, you know, I've been writing since the age of uh, probably 10, when my mother gave me my first journal. And writing has been my my passion for my whole life. Um, I love nature. I love walking outside. I love beach walks. I'm a mother of three children. I've uh, been married for 35 years. Uh, I don't know. I'm just, um, cranking along and every time I get a stumbling block, like two cancer diagnoses in 10 years, I somehow it inspires me or makes me push forward and uh, makes me realize that, you know, how life, sh- how short life is and how we just need to follow our dreams. And uh, I know you mentioned that I had got my undergraduate degrees in journalism and health administration and I went back actually after my first diagnosis with breast cancer in 2001 to get my MFA in writing, and um, now I'm going back to my doctorate in psychology. (laughs) So my path has changed, but not really, it's sort of, you know, kind of linear, you know, but uh, I just love learning, and I always, I I try to embrace any uh, negative news uh, in a positive way.
2: And you know, that's pretty much what we're about on the self-improvement show, the self-improvement blog. Um, Some people are not in tune with positive psychology. They think it's very Pollyannish. I embrace it wholeheartedly because I know how powerful our thoughts are and, and how we need to keep them that way. Before we really get started, tell me a little bit about going back and getting a degree in psychology. That can help you in so many ways. But, you know, what was your motivation for doing that?
3: Well, I've just started, and, you know, I just started actually a few months ago, and I just, um, I've always been interested in psychology, of course, as a writer, I'm always interested in people's, what motivates people, and also as an RN, Uh, and so I've always read, you know, always when I was in bookstores or wherever, I was either in the psychology section, health section, or in the magazine rack, the same thing. So, it's sort of been my passion, and... um, I was reading, I think it was Yoga Magazine or one of the uh, New Age magazines as well, and this ad kept popping out in my face like, for months. It was for the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology. Oh, ah, trans-
2: oh that's wonderful stuff.
3: <laughs> What's that?
2: Transpersonal
3: psychology is wonderful stuff. <laughs> and so it kept popping out at me and I thought, this is a message. I, I'm one of these people that looks for messages everywhere. So do <laughs> and I. So I said, Okay, this thing is nudging me. Let me inquire. And as soon as I went onto their website, I felt I felt this I felt really uh like that's where I belonged. And so I started researching it and I applied and, and I'm in.
2: It'll be wonderful to watch how this influences your writing, and um, you know the other things that you do, but especially your writing, because it's it's, it's got to show up there. Yeah, you know?
3: yeah, it does. And actually, I I have a blog on um, which you can is accessible through my website, and every Monday I put an entry. And people have it, it's called Diana's Notebook Literary Musings, and I. Sometimes write about writing and memoir and writing for healing, but lately people said, "Oh, you're starting to slant towards the psychology." You know?
2: <laughs> yeah, good. But <laughs> while we're here, why don't you tell us, tell the listeners how they can find your website and and this this site?
3: Sure, um, it's Diana D i a n a Rab r a a b dot com. And if you go onto my website uh, and it's slash blog, if you wanted to, just go for the blog. But you can find it right off my website, and I can also be contacted off my website. Um, and so, basically, it's I, I blog every Monday, and so the slant is everything from literary to psychology to the news, anything that's sort of current. I try to keep current with what's going on in uh, in the world. You know, when Steve Jobs passed away, I wrote something about his influence. James Hillman just passed away, so Monday's blog will be about him and the psychology mm-hmm. of the soul's code. And so, you know, I try to keep it very contemporary.
2: I encourage everybody to take a look at it, and I certainly will. I have been on your website. It's a very fine website. I have not been to the blog, but I certainly will do that. And, um I think everybody will find that it's extremely well done, as is all the work of yours that I've seen. You, you were in healthcare before you started the career in writing. Was this sort of a tug and pull between healthcare and writing or, you know, and now you're merging the two quite beautifully, but, you know, you spent some time in healthcare before you started writing or were you doing this all at the same time?
3: Yeah, that's actually a really good question. I mean, I think, I've been writing all along, like even when I was, you know, getting my RN degree and director of nursing in a chronic care hospital, I was doing freelance writing, because writing has been my passion, and um, so, um, I guess in answer to your question, it, it's not even, a, you know, it's just, it's along, it seems to me like it's along the same path, I was doing medical journalism, talking about all the latest technologies coming out, I was working for newspapers and magazines, so... It, it sort of feels like it's in the same category.
2: Well, there's a, there's a huge need for it. A- and there's a need for the kind of book you've written, uh, the the book about your own journey. Tell us a little bit about your journey with cancer. What What was your like life before you got the diagnosis? And then tell us what's gone from there.
3: Well, I was raising three children, and they were... Uh, teenagers uh, when I was diagnosed in 2001. Uh, It was an annual mammogram. Um, I was 47 when I was diagnosed and I had been getting mammograms yearly annually since uh, the age of 40 and um, it was abnormal and they had me come back for a second one. They thought maybe it was some baby powder that I had used because I had something called DCIS, which is ductal carcinoma in situ. And basically on the mammogram, it does look like baby powder sprinkled on the breast because um, it's sort of like little calcifications on your Mm -hmm. breast. It wasn't like a tumor per se, where they could just go in and chop it out and, you know, sew me back together. And and that was, you know, the big dilemma is, uh, and of course this was, you know, I had my surgery about a month before 9-11 and there I am, you know, watching TV and recovering. It was, it was dreadful. It was, you know, i very stressed, stressed out and on many levels, from a personal level, from a national level. Right. It's really intense. And my husband actually made me shut the TV off a few times. He said, you don't need to watch that. You know? Good for him. Yeah. And so um, I guess what ended up happening is um, I was given the choice to have radiation and then a partial mastectomy, um, but my... Calcifications were so diffuse all over that it really would have deformed me. So I did opt for no radiation and for a mastectomy and reconstruction. And I think I'm pretty glad that I did it. Although the reconstruction I had was uh, they removed muscle from my back, and now 10 years later, I'm still suffering from sort of you know muscle.
2: I tried to put myself in your place in that recovery and and wonder how on earth you can get comfortable when you go to bed. I'm thinking this is a real tough one. You know, you had my greatest understanding and, and empathy on that. Um, but you got a second opinion, didn't you? When you got the diagnosis, didn't you go for another opinion?
3: Yes. In fact, you know, just. Because of my nursing background, I'm a firm believer that, and I do believe that medicine is not a science, it's an art, and I really do believe in getting numerous opinions, and, you know, now, I think I actually got three opinions, and and I still advocate that to anybody who is, you know, surgery is recommended for, um... And so we were living in Orlando at the time and the doctor I went to there, the oncologist said, you know, there's a world-renowned specialist, Dr. Mel Silverstein in Los Angeles. And I really, and he's, he specializes in DCIS, this kind of, it's basically an early cancer. Right. And um I suggest you see him. And so I went out to see him and he was, uh, I was just so taken by him and, uh, you know, an older man who just had seen it all, done so many of these surgeries and I just instilled all my confidence in him and... I said, you know what, I, I just want him to do my surgery.
2: Yeah, Diana, really- it, it's time for us to go to okay. a break. I want to finish this thought when we come right okay, when we sure. come back. This is Irene Conlon with the Self-Improvement Show and my guest Diana Rabb talking about um, breast cancer and healing. We'll be right back, so stay tuned.
0: Follow the World Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at World Talk Radio. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the World Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash World Talk Radio or follow along with us at World Talk Radio, the World Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Are you looking
1: to improve your personal or professional branding? What about your business? We've got a program that will help streamline your image management. Tune in to Marketing Matters, hosted by Yasmine Anderson-Smith. Your business and public image is important to your customers' perceptions. And in this day and age, how you market yourself or your company can make the difference between running a successful business and shutting it down. Marketing Matters can be heard every Wednesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific on World Talk Radio Variety.
0: The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Where the world comes to listen and talk. You are tuned in to the Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlin. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1 613 1612. That's 1 613 1612. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is the self improvement blog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the self improvement show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon.
2: Welcome back to the self improvement show. This is Irene Conlon with my guest Diana Rabb. We were talking about. Uh, the events surrounding her diagnosis after a mammogram um, that she had an early form of uh, cancer of the breast. And we were talking about getting a second opinion. And during the break, we talked why, why this was so important. Share with our listeners why you think a second opinion is so important.
3: Well, it's important, uh, like I was telling Irene during the break, in that I believe that medicine is not a science, that it's an art, and that, you know, there are different opinions what one doctor will do, another one might not do, and it doesn't mean that one's wrong and one's right. It's just they have a different opinion, and and it's ultimately the patient's decision. But in order to make that decision, you have to be informed, like why would one doctor say one thing and another doctor say something else? And so I always suggest, even to my friends and family now, if surgery is suggested, to have three opinions, and the really good doctors won't have a problem with that. They'll say, "Sure, you know, they'll have confidence in their decision." And and um, you know, the ones that say, "Well, you don't need it. I've been doing this for a hundred years." Yeah, that, I would I would stay clear. You know, but I think most doctors are used to. People
2: getting second opinions and third opinions. Well, you know, the the women who are listening have to realize that when you're told you have cancer of the breast, you're stunned. I mean, you're shocked. It's a really hard time to make a good decision because there's so many emotions surrounding it. So you really need the reinforcement of hearing... Um, from several people that this is true and you need to do this and they'll help you make the decision, they'll give you the support you need. Mm-hmm. Your husband must have been very important in this decision as well. I, I, I'm i assuming from reading your book that he was very supportive all the way through. It certainly sounded like it.
3: Oh, he was amazing. I, I don't know how women who do not have a support system, a husband or a significant other, go through it. I mean, it, he was... He was fabulous because, I mean, not only you, I mean, I was recovering from two surgeries, a mastectomy and this massive muscle thing in my back. Yeah. And so, um, you know, you're recovering from surgery, so physically you're exhausted and you've got pain and all this, and, but then the emotional part of having had breast cancer is huge. I mean, there's our femininity, you know, I've nursed three kids and it was just, it was a it was a great time for me to journal and talk about a segue into journaling. It's, you know it's the first thing I do, and I actually my daughter, who was my middle daughter, who was fifteen at the time, when she found out I had diagnosed with cancer, she said, "Mom, I see a book in this
2: Oh, bless her heart <laughs> <laughs> That gave you a different perspective, didn't it? It did so all the time you were in the middle of it, you could still have that thought. How can I use this in the book?
3: Well, you know, I had journaled. I didn't really think I was going to do a book. Actually, I was just journaling just for healing basically, like I teach. Uh and I was sort of I didn't I don't like going to the dark places. It's just maybe because I was brought up with a depressed mother. I don't know, but I just Well, yeah. I don't want to I just I want to stay in the bright places. I mean, sometimes life, you know, throws loops in but and so I really didn't want to uh, make a book.
2: Well, not only that, but our thoughts create, and we don't want to create more of that dark stuff. Exactly.
3: And so, but my friends and colleagues said, you've got to write a book. You're going to help people. And So it's actually a self-help memoir. It tells my story, but there's journaling pages for people to share their story. And you know, So it was really a push from people who knew me really well.
2: And it's an interesting book because you really lay it. You, well, in the first place, you, you really lay your emotions bare. I mean, it's very brave to do this, and I commend you for being so open that other women who are going through this can say, oh, she did it, she made it, I can. And at the end of every chapter, you give them a page to write their own experience so they can use your book as their first journal. If they need to. Yeah. Just a great idea. So, you know, let's, let's just talk about journaling a little bit. Why, why is a journal so helpful for people who have, have a challenge like getting through breast cancer? Doesn't have to be for that, but it can be. You know, why, why do you think it's so helpful?
3: Well, I think there's many reasons. I mean, certainly it it saved my life and saved a lot of other people. It's cheaper than therapy. Yeah. (laughs) For one. And I think it also helps uh, to validate what we're going through. It helps to sort of um, helps us come to grips. It helps us find answers to questions. You know, I kept asking, like, why me? And there's no cancer in my family. And, And I would start at the top of the page, why me? And then I would go through it and And so it empowered me. It cleared my mind. It made me more confident. Um, It really witnessed my healing process. Uh, It was just a place to work through my illness, basically.
2: Now, do you have a format for yourself when you start a journal? You're you're a real you're what I would consider a professional journaler.
3: I don't know if there's such a thing. I don't. I mean, I think anybody can journal. I, I appreciate the. Do crudos, you <laughs>
2: <laughs> Do you have an ongoing everyday kind of journal and then a journal for specifics like the one that you kept for for your journey through breast cancer?
3: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um it depends on the stage of my life. During my breast cancer, I just had one, I typically only have one journal cuz life's complicated enough. <laughs> yep. And, uh, you know, chess the way my life is, I probably will have the wrong journal sitting on my desk, and I'll have to go find <laughs> the right one, and then I'll forget the thought, you know? <laughs> so, I, I, I'm an advocate of one journal, except, um I do believe that, uh, a dream journal should be special and should be kept at the bedside. And, uh, and then another thing is, I also ha- I do have a tiny journal that when I go out, to, you know, out for dinner, and I take a little purse, and I have that, but I would, if I have a thought while I'm out, I will transcribe it into the larger journal when I get home. So, in answer to your question, I think life is complicated enough. I think one journal is sufficient. Yeah, for
2: you know, I, I I have a I always want to do a journal, and I always start out with great intentions, and somehow it doesn't last with me, and I I don't know why that is because I love to write, um, but somehow. It does I, I don't know what it is and maybe you'll inspire me to do better with it. Let me ask you this question. Does it make a difference whether you journal by writing in a book by hand or by by you know, or or go to your computer and put it in the computer? It does it make a difference in how you process that or can track it or, you know, the the influence it has on you?
3: You're asking some great questions. Uh. <laughs> And I know your listeners will benefit. Um, this is a question that's often asked of me when I'm teaching, and I think they have done studies with the hand and the pen and the paper that, they, that the creativity and the emotions come out better on the page in that way. However, there are some people that are almost allergic to writing longhand.
2: <laughs> I would be one of those. <laughs> so I would say, well, better it loves- than not
3: doing at all, you can do it on the computer, but
2: you know my I, my thought i can't i can't write as fast as i think and so i've lost my thought mm. if i do it by hand and yet by by hand it seems much more personal and you have time to reflect on the thought while you're doing it so you know the jury's out for me
3: yeah i mean i think um i mean ideally and plus you could you know it's, nothing, it's really nice to also sit outside in a park or in your backyard or on your front porch or wherever you is comfortable for you. And that's what I would suggest: find a place that you know just brings you peace, a peaceful place, or a chair in your house, or whatever whatever place brings you peace. And and just you know, you need to feel comfortable. You need to feel inspired to write. I love Buddhas, and so I have a couple oh, of Buddhas yeah. right there. And so I I always have to have one near me when I'm writing. Just it's a calm, it just sort of calms me down. Or a white candle also, a lot of people. I mean, if you, one thing is to find, like, a centering rit- ritual, like, you know, if, if it's listening to calming music, to stretching, to having a cup of coffee, a cup of tea, or, you know, lighting a candle. Something that says, aha, time
2: to journal. Time to journal. Yeah. Have a question about your little... Journal that you take with you when you go out, um, because I think that's really interesting. You know, if you have this wonderful thought in the middle of a conversation, <laughs> do you put back your little book and say, "Hey, hold that thought. I need to write yeah, something." I don't
3: care about anyone else. It's all you know,
2: <laughs> who cares? <laughs> who cares? I mean, that's a great way to capture a thought that you want to hold on to and expand. But I, I, I honestly would not have thought of doing that. So it's a great, great idea. You
3: know. if you, I used to when we don't do much anymore but we used to go to, you know, some dinner parties, fundraisers and whatnot and um, I have a tiny purse and so it didn't have room for journal so I'd put like index cards in, you know. <laughs> I <laughs> love <laughs> I used it. To write on.
2: I lo- you really are a writer, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Um oh, no, it's just that I have
3: no memory. <laughs>
2: Well, it doesn't get better generally no. from this time. Let me attest to that fact. It's, it gets to be more and more of a challenge as we go uh, a little further along in years. Um, we won't speak to that anymore. Ooh, ooh. Uh uh. That's another uh, show. Yeah, that's another show which we'll forget about.
3: Well, <laughs> go um, or pop some ginkgo or something.
2: Yeah, we'll pop a little ginkgo. And it's almost time for another break. I think we'll take it now so we can start back with a brand new thought. This is Irene Conlin with the Self-Improvement Show and my guest Diana Rabb. We're going to be talking more about journaling, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. (music)
0: Find out what's happening on the World Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword World Talk Radio world talk radio presents a new kind of health awareness talk show the sharon kleina hour health environment and the power of water show host sharon kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world every show offers new information that could save your life the sharon kleina hour is health from an environmental perspective your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle mondays at 10 a.m pacific time on the world talk radio variety channel
1: mind brain and body on voice america health and wellness is delighted to finally have the opportunity to fulfill the requests of our many guests and listeners to extend the mind brain and body experience to a second hour tune in for the lyceum critiques of ancient and modern understanding with dr michael kell The purpose of this show is to explore and expand upon mankind's continual efforts to explain why we exist. Join us each week as we continue our fireside chats with some of the most remarkable thinkers living today. The Lyceum airs Fridays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific, on World Talk Radio Variety.
0: The World Talk Radio Variety Channel.
2: Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Diana Rabb, and we're talking about journaling. Um, and I think this is a very important conversation for women, um, men too, but women especially need uh, a way to express their thoughts and have a, a chance to reflect on them. I have a question, Diana, when you sit down to write your uh, entry, do you have a format that you kind of follow? Do you sort of have a, a a leading thought and then you fill up with it, fill it up, you know, fill up that thought or do you sit down and just write what comes to mind?
3: Well, um, it really depends on the day. Um, you know, now that I'm doing my doctorate, part of my homework is supposed to be to write every day in a journal. So I I made a list of prompts for myself. but I think basically... It's whatever, I mean, for me, journaling, and I think for most people, the best time is first thing in the morning. Of course, if you have young children, you have to pick another time during the day. When my kids were little, I would journal when they were napping, but first thing in the morning, you're fresh, and you, you know, just I, I just start by writing, you know, right now I feel like this, or, you know, what someone did yesterday, you know, what so-and-so did yesterday bothered me, or this is why I'm happy today, or you know, anything, whatever pops in your mind, you can even write, if, even if you start writing about, wow, it's really cloudy today, I don't think I can go out or it might snow. Um, it doesn't matter, you know, it's not like an essay where there's a beginning, middle, and end. if that, you know, little jot about the weather leads you into thinking when writing about your father or your mother or your sister or your brother or your cat or your dog, that's fine, too. There's no, it's not linear. Journaling's is not linear. So I just, what I say is just go with the flow. And the important thing is not to take your pen off the page. Just sort of let it. I tell my students, let it rip.
2: <laughs> let it rip. And do you make yourself sit there for the you know a certain amount of time, or when you finish the thought, you, you kind of feel like it's complete for the the time, or you know how do you how do you gauge how long it should be, how much you start, time you should spend? I'm having trouble with my tongue today.
3: No, that's okay. No, well for beginning journal keepers, I suggest to start with fifteen minutes. The same. 15 minutes, you know, the same time of day, every day. So that it's sort of like this ritual. And as time goes on, you know, that time might increase. I mean, now what I do, because this is what I do a lot of, there's some days I don't journal, you know. Um, but when I do journal, I might journal a little bit in the morning, a little bit in the afternoon. It's whenever something comes to me that I really feel like I need to get on the page, I need to work out, or something might, might confuse me, something I don't want to forget, I Have a section of the journal, you know, books I want to read, and another section with quotations that I love. Ah, okay. So, and then that, and sometimes I go to those with quotations and say, "Wow, that that quotation fascinates me. Why is that?" And I start writing about what it means to me that quotation. Nice. uh, Or an article, you know. um, If you read an article in a newspaper, well, newspapers are gone, but, you know... Yeah, pretty uh, much. ...a magazine and that fascinates you, you know, write about it and, you know, put your own musings in there, see where it goes.
2: Yeah, speaking of quotations, I put one on my blog today that I got out of your book, and it's this, I try to wake up every morning happy to be alive and with joy in my heart, I believe it's very important to surround myself with those who bring only positive and nurturing energy into my life. Lovely quote. Thank
3: you. So
2: does that come from your journal or you know, did that come with the book?
3: No, I think that came from my journal. I think one thing I discovered and a lot of people discover when they're smacked with a an illness and that is, you know, the quality of life and the fragility of life and how um, I certainly removed as much as I could all the toxic people from my life because I needed to be healthy, I needed to be strong, and I really needed people around me that just made me feel good about myself and, and that I just felt good with, you know, good, you know, good energy with. So, um, and that brings joy. And the other thing that brings joy is doing what you love to do, you know, and people say, How could you go back at the age of 57 for your doctor? I said, Well, it's so much work. It's so. Oh, uh, it's so but much if you fun. Learn something. It's not
2: a lot of work. <laughs> no, see, I do that now, and I'm not going to tell you how old I am. Oh, but it's no, considerably more than you. Um, considerably, but I'd still love to go back to school, and ASU is not too far from me, so it's very tempting often. So, you have a beginning journaler. You have, you teach classes in journaling. So, what are the key points that you give your students? Or, if I said, I really want to learn to journal, what do I do? What would you tell me?
3: I would tell you first to find a journal that resonates with you. You know, uh, I don't know whatever bookstore is near you, if there's bookstores anymore, but I used to love going to Barnes & Noble because they always have fabulous collections. I know, they're wonderful, aren't they? They're amazing. And so, I mean, one day I be, might gravitate to a red one, one day black. I mean, whatever, it has to resonate with you. and And so just pick off the one off the shelf that just resonates with you, something that it has to be a book that you want to just pick up and, and cuddle up with and write in. I mean, there are people and very good journal keepers that insist on spiral-bound notebooks, and that's fine too. It's whatever works for you. Um, and to me, the most important... I'm not a big fan of spiral-bound notebooks because you can tear out the pages, and I—I'm—I I don't believe in that. I think, you know, that what you write down might be valuable in the future, so... And then, you know, open up the journals to make sure that it lies flat because if, if you're battling with your elbows trying to make it lie flat, it, the writing is not going to flow. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> and, um, and then find a pen that you like. I mean, I love the gel pens because I just find they flow really well. You know, I, And I love writing in purple. I That's my color. Um, I have a friend that writes... Depending on her mood, she write in red, purple, green, black. Oh, and that makes it fun too. It does. So that's another idea, and then you know, just make it a regular practice. As I say, whether it's the morning or the night, or at lunchtime, or whenever it works for you. And uh, and you could just jot. To, I mean, I I put a lot of. I write poetry as well, and so I write a lot of poems in my journal, and just they're just poems about. You know the everyday. You know I.
2: Okay, uh, that was going to be my next question is about your, yeah, <laughs> about your poetry. So let's just you know, let's just go there. Poems come to you s- spontaneously as you journal, or you get the first line and continue with it. How does that work for you?
3: Yeah, for me, um, I work. I come up with the title first. Something something inspires me. Like I was cleaning. My, one of my first poems is called "Heritage Sponges." It's not in this book, but you know, because I was washing the dishes one day, I'm like this is so smelly, why don't I just throw it out, you know, and and so it started with this sponge, all about sponges, and you know, why people keep them, and, and so it basically starts with either an image or a thought, and it does start in my journal, and sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not good, but it doesn't matter, it's just, uh, I started writing poetry when my kids were little, and I just had no time to, I needed always to write, and I just Poach approaches fast, and it gives instant gratification. Yes. <laughs> Do you have
2: anything handy you could share with us?
3: Well, I think you mentioned a couple that you liked from my book, and I'd be happy to read those. Um, okay. Uh, but uh, Actually, I liked all of them, but oh. I think those were my favorites. You
2: have some that are very striking. Uh, anyway.
3: A lot of people like, to my daughters, because I think when... A lot of people, when they're you know diagnosed with breast cancer, they're like the first thing they do is they think of their, their daughters. And yeah. so, um, but I can read you "Robbed Twice." Um, by the way, the book is interspersed. I we said journal pages, blank journal pages, and memoir, but it also has my own journal entries and some poetry relating to my cancer. So, this poem is called "Robbed Twice." The day after the doctor cut off my breast, I got the phone call into my therapist who told me to give myself some time to figure out who I am, what I should do after being slashed by that knife.
2: And that's quite startling, but doesn't it express so well Mm -hmm. where you are at that point? Yes. Slashed is quite a dramatic word, but it says it.
3: Yeah, I totally felt slashed. I mean, I had this my, in my book, I talk about the goodbye ceremony to my breast and you know, saying goodbye to it. I mean, it's just something I had to do because it was just, you know, they're well, part of our lives, those, those boobs. After l- nursing three
2: children, it has totally different meaning than it would for someone who had not nursed three children. Exactly. And I would guess that you did a lot of journaling about what that loss meant to you.
3: I did. I did enormous amount of loss. Yeah, my, and I, I don't know that I mentioned um, that my first journal my mother gave to me when I was 10 years old, and the reason she gave it to me is my grandmother committed suicide in my childhood home. And this was back in the 60s, and, you know, she had no idea what to She was in her own, had her own issues to deal with. She had no idea what to do I mean, it was an overdose of sleeping pills, and I found my grandmother.
2: Oh, my goodness.
3: And so my mother was at odds. She's, and she was an English major, and so she's just, she just you know, therapy was not a big thing back then. And she's, here, here's a journal, just write what you're feeling. And I would just cuddle up in my closet because my grandmother was my caretaker. And uh, so that's why I, I really do advocate writing for healing because it really helped me heal during that time during all the other losses of my life, breast cancer, losing my father, losing my grandmother, um, and it just helps you sort of come to terms. It's very empowering.
2: It's a wonderful form of self-therapy, isn't it? It is. Your mother, you know, and I, I you know, people need to read the book to understand the conversation about your mother. I think that, you know, they <laughs> really need to read your book. <laughs> yeah. Um But that was a tremendous thing she did for you uh, to give you that and give you the, the freedom to go write anything you needed to write in this book. Yes. what a gift and we're going to have the gift of another station break right now it's time (laughs) to take a few minutes Uh, we'll be right back talking just a little bit more about journaling this is Irene Conlon with the self-improvement show and my guest Diana Rabb saying stay tuned because we're not going away
1: We're making it easier to listen to the World Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
0: Hi, this is Rochelle and Jeff from Travel Hub Radio with another Travel Hub tip.
1: You're late for your flight, and there is a long line at the security checkpoint. What can you do as a traveler to improve time and efficiency and make your flight quickly? One idea is to take everything out of your pockets, such as sunglasses, cell phones, PDAs, pagers, and other metal and electronic objects. Put them in an easily accessible pocket on your carry-on luggage. If security asks you to display or operate these items, they're right there.
0: Plus, you won't hold up the line when you have to do the walk. A metal belt buckle or a wristwatch is usually not a problem, but be aware of them and ready to remove them quickly if needed. Wear comfortable shoes that can be quickly slipped off and on if you are asked to remove them. Most of all, if the security personnel give you specific directions or ask you a question, don't argue. Just comply and cooperate. It's not personal. They're just doing their job.
1: For traveling tips and much more, make sure you tune into Travel Hub Radio or listen to the show archives and podcast right here on World Talk Radio and at TravelHubRadio.com.
0: The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to talk. You are tuned in to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlin. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1 866 613 1612. That's 1 866 613 1612. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is the self-improvement blog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the self-improvement show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon.
2: Welcome back to the self-improvement show. This is Irene Conlon with my guest Diana Rabb. We've been talking about journaling and uh, another thought popped in my mind as we're coming back from the break and that is what do you do what do you tell people like me who say "Ah, I've tried to journal and I just don't do it or I can't do it it's not that I I, and I know I can I just don't but what kind of advice can you give people who are dragging their feet about it Uh, you know how can you help me
3: well, you know, you can lead a horse to water, you can't make him drink. I mean...
2: <laughs> That's a great answer. You <laughs> say. <laughs> You can give a person a book and a pen, but you can't make them write in it. That's
3: right. You just stay in that spot till you get your whole page done. <laughs>
2: that's that's really good.
3: Um, that's not the answer you wanted, though. I read. Uh, no,
2: but it is the perfect answer, Diana. How can I beat that? Uh, I suppose if I were motivated enough, I'd do it.
3: I think so, and I. And, and unfortunately, people tend to journal more when times are tough. Uh, we don't journal, you know, I don't know what it is about our society, but we do focus a little too much on the negative. And, um, so I think, you know, that's sort of, that's why I, I've been very involved with writing for healing, because it seems that people do gravitate more when they really need to.
2: The one going... kind of journaling that I can do and do is journal uh, appreciation. Things that I'm grateful for, things that I appreciate, somehow that just makes my whole day flow. When I do that,
3: so like gratitude journaling is very, very good to do, and that actually, um, that's pretty popular to do it either in the morning or a lot of people like doing gratitude journaling at night before they go to bed.
2: It's a good thing to go to sleep on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Diana, where do you go from here? What you know? What's in your future? Another book. Um, The the PhD would be pretty big right now.
3: Yeah, I actually, um, you know, after my I had a second cancer diagnosis, totally unrelated. It was blood cancer diagnosis in two thousand six, and after that, I'm like, oh my god, there's all these books I want to get. I'm I'm fine. I just have blood tests every couple of months, but I you know said oh i got to get all these books out so i that's why I've, <laughs> yes I, I was like uh so i've got two books coming out in february one is a poetry book about a trip to africa and the other one is a book of, called writers on the edge which is about writers who use writing for healing um and yes my doctorate I'm working on that. I don't know what my dissertation will be. I have some ideas. I don't want to jinx it by talking about it, but that's... No, and uh, yeah, I I agree. <laughs> and
2: uh, And that can become another book.
3: Exactly. That's my thought. So, you you just got back from China
2: too. I just so. got
3: back from China and I always, you know, tie in my what I'm doing in my life to my blog and and what's going on. My my friends and relatives around the country and they say, Oh, you know, we don't talk much but I know what you're doing and I don't make it sort of like today I went to the beach. I mean I usually will tie it into something more universal, um something personal but universal that other people that don't even know me can relate to, you
2: know. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So you have still a lot of words that are going to flow out of your pen. Um, I'm assuming that if you know they're coming out next year, they're pretty much finished?
3: Uh, They are finished, correct.
2: Yeah, they are. You have a publisher and all those things, so now you can relax.
3: We're we're in the galley stage now, and um, I think they're going to press actually probably next month.
2: That's pretty exciting to have two books coming out at the same time. It's
3: exciting, but it's stressful because it's good to focus on one. Uh, It's just that my poetry publisher wanted to get his book out for National Poetry Month in April, and then the other book was already destined for February, so it's kind of like it just worked out that way i'd it rather have worked. i think one book a year is ideal i think too that much too seems much.
2: like a lot um, even
3: that's a lot yes
2: yeah that's a lot so next is just more working on the phd what kind of courses are you into now in the in your inner quest for your doctorate
3: Well, I just finished taking integral research skills. I'm taking lifespan development and um, uh, philosophical issues in transpersonal psychology. And, you know, that's a lot of writing. I mean, there's people in the program that hate writing, and they're they're struggling. But I just, to me, reading and writing is what I love to do. So no problem there. So it's a piece of cake
2: for you. Tell the listeners just a little bit about what transpersonal psychology is. They'll know a little bit more about where you're coming from.
3: Well, transpersonal psychology is the latest branch of psychology, um, and basically it encompasses all the other branches. But it it deals with what's what's beyond. Um, transpersonal means what's beyond. Yeah. Beyond, and you know, looking and it, it focuses. You know, a lot of the traditional forms of psychology focus on the negative, focus on the past, and this is all about you know reaching your full human potential by modalities, whether it's you know um, you know meditation. Um, LSD. Journaling.
2: <laughs> yeah. LSD, yes, I know they are proponents of LSD.
3: <laughs> or whatever, um, you know, whatever transpersonal uh, modality, uh, having peak experiences, it's all about reaching your full potential. You know? Yeah, and, I, and I it really acknowledges the spiritual, issue. so, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah. So I would think that it would work very well even with positive psychology as, you know, another place to go when you're working with people. Yes. Although you don't see yourself as a therapist, do you?:
3: um, Well, I'm not in the therapy track because that means 3,000 hours of therapy. Uh, oh. not for me for someone else, you know right. <laughs> so I'm on the research track.:
2: Ah, so will you have to do statistical research, or well, can it be more a narrative?
3: Um, well, I could do either qualitative or quantitative, and I'm probably going to do qualitative. Because I'm terrible with statistics.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's exactly where my mind went. That's what I did for
3: my <laughs> and, uh, master's. I think 98 percent of our program is that way. And what's really nice about the program is that it's experiential learning. There's a lot of you know you, you know experiential exercises that you sort of incorporate in your own life. Because the philosophy is that you cannot be a transpersonal psychologist unless you practice transpersonal psychology yourself. Unless you do these things that. You know, help you achieve your human potential.
2: And and those are things that most of us want to do anyway. You know, the, the the idea of the self-improvement blog is that everybody wants to do better, be better, be happier, you know, always, you know, going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is why we started that. And uh, transpersonal psychology is right along that same path. Mm-hmm. We're right up next to the end of the show, Diana. What words do you want to leave with our listeners?
3: Well, just three lines. Very simple. Be positive, follow your heart, and find your passion.
2: Ah, three lines. Lovely lines. Say them again.
3: Be positive, follow your heart, and find your passion.
2: I can't think of... Any advice that could be better stated than that? Um, Nice way to end the thoughts of this show. Next week, our guest is Katina Makris, who wrote a book called Out of the Woods. It's another book about illness, and yet it's not. Um, Kim had... Uh, Lyme's disease. She's a homeopathic physician and it was her struggle and her story and it's uh, very well done. I think anyone can get a great deal out of it. I want to thank you Diana for being with us today. Uh, So many things you brought us and such a great gift you've given us in encouraging us and telling us how to do some journaling.
3: Thank you very much for having me Irene. Have a wonderful day.
2: When we, when you get your new books out, we'll have to have you back.
3: And don't forget to check out my website, dianarab.com.
2: Got it. dianarab.com. Uh, Rab.com. So you know, write that down. Remember to go there. I'll go there right now. This is Irene Conlin for the Self-Improvement Show saying, come back again next week. And we'll do this again. We'll be speaking with Katina Makris about her battle with Lyme disease. Have a good week.
0: Thank you again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show. Please listen again next Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember that improvement out there starts in here.